Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel previews the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, that is, which is being played at the new Viking Stadium in 2018. Brownfield Ag's Mark Dornkamp takes a closer look at the state's controversial water quality issue, and I share a Minnesota perspective on the Iowa caucuses. But first... With great regret, I'm announced today that uh, I will not be able to call a special session of the legislature. Governor Mark Dayton tried repeatedly to get agreement with legislative leaders for a special session to address unemployment benefits for steelworkers on the Iron Range, real ID, and economic disparities in communities of color. And Dayton said this week Republicans are solely responsible for it not happening. It's just really appalling. And the only thing standing between Rangers and relief is that uh, Republicans are unwilling to do what's right for Minnesota families. Senate Republican leader David Hand responded, that's a typical comment by Democrats. Everything they don't like, they just say uh, Republicans uh, are only interested in business. MNN's Bill Werner, why didn't a special session come together? Well, Scott, there were certain exceptions, of course, but I think the general feeling among lawmakers is that none of the issues are so urgent that they cannot wait until the regular session, which begins in just over a month on March 8th. Other than what was being tossed around for the special session that now is not happening, there are some big issues waiting in the wings for the 2016 regular session, and many of them are carryovers from last year. We got some indications where Republicans and Democrats stand on those issues at this week's forum at the University of Minnesota. First, what about tax cuts in an environment of a budget surplus that's well over a billion dollars? Senate Democratic Majority Leader Tom Box says tax cuts this session are... Probably pretty difficult. There's about $400 million in the out biennium for the next legislature to consider spending. So what that means is if we spent $200 million uh, this year, it doubles in the next. So it's going to be pretty difficult to put together a tax bill with tax reductions... I would like to put some additional money into local government aid and county program aid for for cities and counties. So to the extent we could provide some help there to help hold down property tax impacts in our local communities, I think would be a, a, a good goal, probably a better goal than, than, uh, than cutting taxes for a whole lot of people that probably don't need the reduction, where local governments, uh, uh, if we could relieve some of the property tax pressure. Just as last year, House Speaker Republican Kurt Dowd sees it totally differently. The bottom line is we are collecting more money than we need from Minnesotans. Yes, could we find 50 different ways to spend that money? Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, the, the bottom line is we, in the last budget, uh, increased state spending by about 5%. Um, the biennium before, when Democrats were in complete control, they increased spending in the general fund by, um, I think, about 12%. And the, and the reality is, uh, you know, we're, we're collecting more money than we need from Minnesotans to operate state government. It's likely Governor Mark Dayton will continue his push for all-day pre-kindergarten in 2016. Speaker Dowd says about that. It did not have legislative support last session. Uh, If he's talking about all-day pre-K in the context of of wanting to enact that this session, um, it's almost impossible to do. 
um, in the second year of the biennium. It really needs to be done in a budget year, the first year of the biennium. It's almost impossible for us now to pass something where kids start going to school in, in August of this year. It also is not something that any of the local school districts want. They don't have the room for the, for the kids. Uh, it would be a huge underfunded mandate. Senate DFL Majority Leader Tom Bach says about all day, Kay. Very difficult to start opening up the budget in the second year of the biennium, and I, I can see how that would play out. You've got early childhood advocates over here. You've got advocates for the disabled and nursing homes and, and residential group homes over here. And how, uh, I don't think in a non-budget year, the legislature is going to want to be put in a position of having to pick between those two strong advocacy groups, even if all working with very vulnerable people. Uh, even if we had the money to do it. So prospects do not look good for the governor's all-day kindergarten initiative this session. What about his on-again, off-again push for a gas tax increase? Republican Speaker Dowd says... About two to one Minnesotans are against increasing the gas tax. And, and frankly, at a time when state government has, you know, $2 billion worth of surplus revenue coming in... Um, to increase a tax and take more money from Minnesota family budgets, it's it just something that doesn't make logical sense. Um, and when we've got a $2 billion surplus, we can take some of that money uh, and, and use that for uh, a road and bridge infrastructure. And that's something that you know 70 or 80% of Minnesotans support, uh, which is really broad bipartisan support. Now, I'm keenly aware that our plan uh, takes money that currently is going into the general fund and puts it into the road and bridge uh, fund uh, to spend on roads and bridges. But we believe that's something Minnesotans support. Senate Majority Leader Bach is not keen on Republicans' approach. It's not a transportation plan if you've got a little surplus money one time and, and you infuse a couple hundred million dollars into some roads and bridges uh, only to hand off to the next legislature no money and no plan so uh, and it really needs to be constitutionally dedicated uh, the problem with putting transportation uh, into the general fund is as popular as transportation is it will never compete with health care for vulnerable and disabled people it will never compete with with education for money so uh, the next legislature, just like we have for decades, will just kick it down the road for the next legislature to deal with. So it needs to be a dedicated source of funding like the gas tax or like license tabs that actually go into the Highway Trust Fund and are constitutionally committed for, for uh, transportation. That is the very same impasse that Democrats and Republicans were at on transportation last legislative session. A bonding bill for state public works projects is also on lawmakers' agenda. In fact, it's the main task of sessions in even-numbered years. Governor Dayton has proposed $1.4 billion. Republicans say that's too large. It should be more like a billion. Senate Democratic leaders say split the difference, ending up at $1.2 billion. We'll see what happens. Scott? We sure will, Bill. Thank you for that report. I'll be back with my Minnesota perspective on the Iowa caucuses when Minnesota Matters returns. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. 
The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. In Iowa, ready? You have a lousy record. 16 years and you haven't picked a winner. Please pick a winner this time, okay? I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Well, we know things didn't quite turn out that way for Republican presidential hopeful Donald Trump in the Iowa caucus. He came in second to Senator Ted Cruz. I was lucky enough to be in Iowa in the lead up to the caucuses and got to take in the atmosphere of excitement, anxiety, even patriotism at several candidate rallies throughout the state. Along the way, I ran into some Minnesotans who made the trek down south to help get the vote out. People like James Peters of Mankato. James is a mechanical engineering student at Iowa State University and he caucused for Bernie Sanders. He promotes change, uh, which is something a lot of other candidates aren't doing right now. They're sort of trying to find a middle ground and compromise with everybody. Um, and any radical revolution in the United States has started with someone who is promoting big changes. Joel Hillstrom from Minneapolis waited in line for hours to see Hillary Clinton at an Iowa State University rally. Well, I heard it was a, kind of a close race down here. My son is going to school down here, and so I had a place to stay and figured I could come and do what I can to help. Leading right into the caucuses, the polls showed Hillary Clinton with a slight edge over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, and Clinton wanted Iowa voters to know she was the better candidate. I really believe I will be a better president because of what you have shared with me. So please go out and stand up for me on Monday night. And if you do, I will stand up and fight for you for the next four years. And on Monday, caucus day, the voters did stand up for Clinton, but only by a sliver. One of the big winners of the Iowa caucuses was Marco Rubio, who nearly overtook Donald Trump for second place on the Republican side. Mark Drake of St. Paul went on a mini vacation to Iowa last weekend to see some presidential candidates. On Saturday night, Drake was standing among a thousand people in a Des Moines hotel ballroom waiting to see Rubio. He's, I think, our best hope in a general. Drake says Minnesota Minnesota's very similar process doesn't usually have the national import that Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucuses do, but he's holding out hope 2016 is different. Fingers crossed that, you know, Rubio's still, still around there. And then there's Trump. Though he came in second in Iowa, he's definitely striking a chord with some voters, like Margaret Zachary of Council Bluffs. He doesn't treat us as if we're a bunch of dummies, the way the current administration does. As if we're supposed to believe, you know, everything. Asked whether she thinks Trump's lack of political experience may be a problem, Zachary smiled. That doesn't bother me, and that might even be a plus. What Trump lacks in political experience, he makes up for in showmanship. You can't deny the reality TV star knows how to work a crowd. And when Trump targeted journalists at his Council Bluffs rally, he provided me with a memory of the experience that will stick with me for some time. First of all, the guys in the back, the press, among the most dishonest people I've ever met in my life. They really are. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. No, no. They are so dishonest. And they'll have a story that they can take something that's good and make it look bad. I'll tell you the great thing is, and I'm, I'm talking about only 75 to 80 percent of them. There's 20 percent who are good. Some would argue E.J. Dion of the Washington Post is one of the 20%. He says of the Trump phenomenon. Journalists, and I speak for myself included, always uh, repeat the last mistake. So 
uh, you know, our, our initial mistake was underestimating him. And I have this just creeping suspicion that maybe our next mistake will be to overestimate him. Celebrating his strong finish in Iowa, Rubio promised to unify the party and unify the conservative movement. If I am our nominee, and I will be our nominee, thanks to what you have done here in this great state. So what might we expect heading into the New Hampshire primary? I spoke with Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear to get some answers. On the Democratic side, it's pretty clear that Bernie Sanders will win New Hampshire by a substantial margin. He's got big leads in the polls. New Hampshire borders his home state of Vermont, so it's really home territory for him. On the Republican side, uh, Trump has been ahead by considerable margins in all the polls, but with this Iowa result... There may be new opportunities for Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz uh, in New Hampshire. Do you think ultimately down the road here that Rubio is the Republican candidate that most Republicans can get behind, or is it too early to say that? Uh, No, I think if you're looking at the top three, Rubio, Trump, and Cruz, and trying to figure out which candidate has the broadest appeal to Republicans, it's clearly Marco Rubio, and the polls have shown that. Uh, he's also probably the most electable of the three. Uh, so those things are working for him going forward if he can capitalize on those traits. What was the biggest surprise to you from the Iowa caucus? Well, I think the biggest surprise was not that there was a really close um, uh, Democratic race. I, the, the polls had shown that. Uh, but I think the big surprise is that Trump, who had been ahead in all the polls, finishes second, and Marco Rubio uh, really booms up to a, a virtual tie uh, with Donald Trump. That wasn't foreseen in the polls. So I think the big surprises were Trump and Rubio on the GOP side. We'll find out what Minnesota has to say about the presidential race when voters weigh in on Super Tuesday, March 1st. More Minnesota Matters after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. (sighs) And we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid, all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars, because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. 
come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Water quality continues to be a hot-button topic in Minnesota, especially as it pertains to agriculture. Brownfield Ag News reporter Mark Dorenkamp has more. Governor Dayton is hosting an invitation-only water quality summit later this month. Minnesota Corn Growers President Noah Holtgren says it's important for agriculture to remain engaged in these conversations. Of course, the, the corn growers and other ag organizations felt it was important to keep engaging and be able to talk about water quality. Water quality is very important to everyone, farmers and residents of cities or or wherever. And we were just hoping that, of course, with this upcoming water summit that's coming up, that we could talk about a little more and uh, talk about how important water quality is. He says most farmers in the state are conservation-minded. They are doing a lot of things that are not always being reported in things like uh, filter strips, grass waterways, split ap- application of nitrogen. You know, that's more important all the time. And, of course, I, I would point out as the Minnesota Corn Growers president that the corn growers every year support around $4 million in research projects and initiatives that, that do address water quality, soil health, and other conservation issues. Last week, Governor Dayton's office requested the DNR to remove private drainage ditches from the buffer protection maps the department has been working on as part of its four-phase implementation of the buffer law. Minnesota Farm Bureau President Kevin Papp says the decision gives the DNR clearer direction. The agency determinations uh, as far as what may or may not be included, I think that's where most of the confusion, the concerns, uh, are concerned that uh, Were they exceeding their authority to expand control, um, inventing their own criteria? Um, Now that we know clearly that uh, we're going to concentrate on public waters, which are defined in statute, public ditches, public drainage ditches, which are also defined in state law, you know, this will speed up the process. This is going to allow us as farmers, farmland owners, local governments, county soil and water conservation districts, to work cooperatively on implementation, now knowing that it's the public waters and the public ditches, as they're defined in state law, that will be the areas affected. So we can go ahead and and get started. And quite frankly, we're ready to partner with uh, the county commissions, the watershed districts, the local soil and water conservation districts to, to move forward on public ditches and public waters. Papp says he's eager to talk about water quality issues with all stakeholders at the summit. Well, I think it's just important that we, we are on the, the same page. You know, certainly there are some that want less nutrients in the water. Well, farmers want nutrients on our crops. You know, some say, well, we want less soil in the water. Well, farmers want, you know, their fields where they are. Um, we want less fertilizer use. Farmers, we want lower input costs. So we can come together sit down and work together on solutions on this. Um, We can make this work. It doesn't have to be a we versus they. We can find some common solutions. 
Minnesota soybean grower CEO Tom Selenica says farm groups in the state have come together on water quality issues, and with the removal of private ditches from the buffer protection zones, they are asking the governor to expedite the map's release. Several of the uh, Minnesota's uh, ag commodity groups came together and in, in a, in a uh, consistent thought uh, sent a letter to the governor uh, asking him to uh, ex- expedite uh, the release of the buffer protection maps. That's an important step in uh, farmers being able to uh, do the right thing, decide where these ditches are, start seeding, and uh, really start to uh, incorporate uh, the best part of of the buffer law, which is uh, so that farmers can do the right thing and do our part in uh, making sure that Minnesota has clean water. And he says that while the maps are now only for public waters and public ditches, there are still some details to be worked out. Farmers are, are ready to work with county commissioners, watershed districts, local soil and water conservation districts uh, to figure out exactly where these lines need to be. Uh, there's, there's still some debate of uh, how far they need to extend, uh, uh, what the definition of the ditch is. And uh, so, so we're, it's going to be a collaborative effort between those agencies and the farmers and landowners uh, to make sure these uh, buffers are put in, in the correct and, and most effective places. According to the Department of Natural Resources, the buffer protection maps are supposed to be released to the public sometime this summer. As for the Water Quality Summit, Scott, registration was limited to the first 1,000 who signed up, and I'm told it quickly filled up. It will be February 27th at the Intercontinental St. Paul Riverfront. Thank you, Mark. We'll be back with Tasha Radel when Minnesota Matters returns. Hey. It's Flint Lockwood here from Swallow Falls. My friends and I have just discovered these amazing living foodimals. But wait, we've also discovered a crisis that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. That's almost 17 million kids. Our mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks, helping connect children and families who face hunger to billions of pounds of food, reaching shelters, schools, and community centers in every county in America, including yours. Help Flint and the Feeding America network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The countdown to Super Bowl 50 is on, and roughly two years from now, Minnesota will be hosting Super Bowl 52 at the new Viking Stadium. MNN's Tasha Radel caught up with Meet Minneapolis about how the preparations are coming along. That's right, Scott. The excitement is building, and it's so hard to believe in two short years, Minnesota will be garnering all the national attention around the Super Bowl. I visited with Melvin Tennant, president and CEO of Meet Minneapolis, about the bid for the big game and how it's all beginning to fall in place. Well, the the journey for Meet Minneapolis has been several years, certainly not as long as for the Vikings in terms of getting a new stadium built. But the Meet Minneapolis journey goes back to 2010 when our board voted to support the the new stadium project. So that was really where we started. We had a Viking official on our board, and we actually uh, initially 
uh, signed alongside of the Vikings with a document to the NFL indicating that we wanted to pursue a Super Bowl even before a stadium was built, even before the, the deal was consummated. And, you know, uh, obviously, you know, with uh, the opening of U.S. Bank Stadium, do you believe uh, that, that that kind of sealed the deal for you folks? Well, that was certainly a big part of it, but but you you have to have a, a great franchise, which the Vikings are, and so the relationships that they had certainly laid the groundwork for uh, having been selected as a Super Bowl, and clearly one of the one of the assets that we needed was the stadium. So, as you pointed out, that did seal the deal. And you know, obviously, I'm sure you folks are busy preparing for an an event of this is of this caliber. And is two years, you know, leading to 2018 enough time for you? Well, yes, uh, 24 months from actually tomorrow is when we believe the game might be. Although the official date hasn't been officially secured, but roughly two years from right now. The uh, the good news is that once the bid was secured, we uh, were able to to find a great executive in Maureen Bausch to be the head of the uh, uh, host committee. And so she's been in place for over a year. Uh, prior to that, Meet Minneapolis, as well as other organizations, had been doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of work making sure that we had all the necessary resources that we were talking with our peers in other cities. So we actually had a running start before the uh, host committee organization was formed. And although it's going to be a lot of work, we have so many great people involved that I feel very, very confident that we're going to provide an outstanding and memorable experience for the NFL when they come here in 2018. And, you know, the economic impacts uh, to the Minneapolis uh, area with an event uh, of this nature has to be has to be pretty much a, a win-win for all involved. It is on a couple of fronts, Tasha. The, the fact that in early February is a time of the year when our hotel community is really looking for for business so obviously we're we're providing a major event at a time when there's typically not uh, a lot of a, a lot of visitor business so that's one thing as far as the overall economic impact the event is going to touch a lot of sectors big businesses small businesses individuals one of the things i'm really excited about is that during the winter oftentimes hospitality employees in restaurants and in hotels don't necessarily get all of the hours that they want to uh, to work. But obviously during that period of time, they will get hours, they'll be able to earn the money that they need to support their families. And that's one of the things I'm really excited about. And do you think it's fair to say if the Vikings were actually in the 2018 Super Bowl, we'd see even more of a ripple effect when it came to the economy? That would, be, that, that would absolutely, <laughs> absolutely be unprecedented since that hasn't happened. So in addition to the economic impact, that would create additional media attention. And certainly the media attention is going to be great anyway uh, from, from, uh, from around the world. So, so yes, it would be a great one-two punch from the economics of it and also from the media attention. And do you folks have any uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, in San Francisco, kind of scoping out this year's Super Bowl? Absolutely. The uh, host committee, run by Maureen, as I mentioned, has a team there, as well as a number of the volunteers of the um, of the uh, host committee, the Super Bowl host committee. But Meet Minneapolis has several team members on the ground, and I will be there myself later in the week. But it's very much specifically for meeting with our counterparts and understanding how we can provide the support we need as the destination marketing organization. But one of the longer range goals that we have is to make sure that 
when we host the Super Bowl, we'll be able to see benefits from having hosted it for years to come. So making sure that the legacy of hosting a major mega event like that is going to benefit us for years to come. And I have to ask, do you get to go watch the game? Um, my The understanding is that I will, although uh, honestly, that's not the, the purpose of the trip, but that's my understanding at this point. Well, how exciting, but but I get kind of a twofold thing. I understand that work comes first. Um, also, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit uh, from, from the Super Bowl, any other big events coming to Minneapolis that are on your folks' radar? Well, of course, um, we we already have secured the Final Four for 2019, which is outstanding. We we tried very very diligently to secure the college football playoff for the year 2020, but we were not successful. So we plan to go after that uh, event again. But I can just tell you that beyond those mega events, Meet Minneapolis is involved in hundreds of individual event solicitations on an ongoing basis, big and small. And although we do like the mega events. We actually live and die by medium and small size events. So those are the things that we're most concerned about, having that constant flow of events into the city to make sure that we're able to support the employment of the 32,000 people that make their living in travel and tourism in Minneapolis. All right. Well, and I have to ask this, um, you know, and I don't know if you can confirm or deny it, but I had heard a rumor already that uh, perhaps you folks or Minneapolis uh, might be making a bid to host the X Games. Uh, Can you comment on that? At this point, I can't, but I can tell you that we have been in contact in the past with ESPN, and that would be a great event for the city. The most recent X Games have taken place in Austin, and Austin did a fantastic job. But uh, if that opportunity arose, we would certainly feel as though we could do it uh, just as well, not better. Thanks again to my guest, Melvin Tennant, President and CEO of Meet Minneapolis. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Tasha. That's going to do it for this week. On behalf of all of us here, thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.